Good evening, everyone. Please sit comfortably. Hello to everyone on Zoom. A little bit of a uh, change of pace in terms of um, topic tonight. I don't usually talk about um, teachers in the, the Zen lineage, like famous or well-known teachers. Um, but I thought I, I would tonight and talk a little bit about um, Hakuan Zenji. And uh, sometimes sometimes I think when in other tradition, other schools of Zen, um, the um, old teachers are talked about quite a lot. Um, and uh, there's a risk of idealising them, making them into something which is superhuman. Um, uh, I'm sure they were just uh, everyday people like us when it came to it. Um, but I think there is something to be learned by um, some of their, their inspiring examples about, about practice too. Um, if, I, if there was a patron saint um, that I had in, in Zen, it would be Hakuin Zenji. Um, and Hakuin Zenji's song of Zazen really, really speaks to me, really resonates to, with me, especially those opening lines about all beings by nature are Buddha as ice by nature is water. Um, but Hakuin um, was born in um, 1686 and he died in 1769, so he was 83 years old when he died. And if you look at the birth and death figures, you know, in the in the lineage traditions going way back to China, then teachers seem to live to ripe old ages, you know, and one assumes that the life expectancy back in those days was far less than what it is today. Um, so. Uh, that's one benefit that may happen from <laughs> practising Zen. You may, may live to a ripe old age. Um, I think what's more important, important is quality of life, but maybe when you have quality of life, it leads to quantity of life as well. Um, Hakuin lived at the foot of Mount Fuji, and he lived there all of his life, and he was born there, raised there, and, and taught in that area, except for when he went on pilgrimage when he was a monk. And uh, the temple that was his temple was the first temple I actually stayed at when I first went to Japan back in 1978, whenever it was. And uh, I remember it making quite a big impression on me. Ryutakuji is its name now. And Soen Roshi, who was one of Robert Aitken's teachers, was the um, abbot there at the time. And one of the, the great teachers who brought Zen to America and hence to Australia. And uh, I remember being really, my first experience of a Zen temple in Japan, being really taken by this wonderful old earthy kitchen that looked like it had been there for, well, it had been there for centuries, <laughs> you know. And uh, the smell of it and the feel of it and everything was really, really enriching. Um, Hakuin is um, considered to be you know, an important figure who revitalised Zen in Japan. Zen came into Japan around about the 12th century, that's when about the time Dogen brought it in, um, and it was, the, the patrons of it were the samurai class, um, but apparently over the years between the 12th century and the 17th century, uh, when Hakuin was alive, it really went downhill quite a lot, you know, and the, the flame really started to fade out. And Hakuin is considered as 
probably the seminal figure who, who, who revitalised it and kept it alive. Particularly the Rinzai tradition with its focus on um, insight through Cohen studies. Um, Hakuin was an, a very unusual child. Um, the story goes that I must have been a very, very sensitive <coughs> child, one imagines. Um, when he was young, his mother took him along to a, um, a sermon by a, a Buddhist priest who talked about all the different hell realms in a very graphic way, in the same way that Irish Catholics would talk about it. You know. And, um, you know, all the, all the terrible punishments, you know, and, you know, things that would happen in hell realms. And it totally freaked him out. And um, he, he really became very, very distressed about it and his mother couldn't console him and he wouldn't sleep and he did you know, almost having a, a breakdown as a child. So he must have had a very, like, sensitive um, imagination for... To, for this to make such a big impression on him. And as you find with a lot of um, significant spiritual figures like Ramana Maharshi as well, as well, the issue of death seems to, and the fear of death or curiosity about death seems to um, have an impact on them in, at, a, at a very early age um, and seems to be very significant in their ongoing spiritual practice. Um, so his mother gave him something to do to try and alleviate the fear, and that was to um, to pay homage to this particular Buddhist deity, you know, make abances every day. So it gave him something to do, um, um, but it, it didn't really allay his fears. Um, he ended up becoming a, uh, a monk, um, and when he was a young man, he had, he had many different... Um, what we would call Kensho experiences through, like many, many, many of them. And the first one he had, um, he was quite young, I think in his late late teens, and um, the comments he make about it, you read it at first and you go, well, that's, that's a bit odd. Because what he said was, no one's had an experience as deep as this in about three or 400 years in the tradition. And you go, wow, this is a, a young man who's uh, very confident in his experience. Uh -huh. um, and anyway, he goes to a, 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 this uh, well-renowned teacher to get his insight affirmed. You know? And this teacher was a very strict, tough old teacher. And he gives him the koan, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? And Hakon replies something along the lines of... Um, the hands don't touch it and the feet don't touch it. And um, the old master got his nose and twisted it and cried out in pain, what's this? No hand or foot can touch it. And so he, he really was really quite, quite um, challenging to Huck when he saw potential, I think, and he also saw a big ego mm -hmm. <laughs> and he wanted to break it down. So it was really tough with him as a teacher over many, many months and years. Um, and uh, uh, eventually, uh, he, he, he almost gave up on his teacher. He thought, oh, he's, he's too arrogant, you know, he's too authoritarian. He, was about, he, he gave up on it. 
and apparently who's in the village and he, he, he must have been like slightly crazy or something because he started talking out aloud to himself about death and so on and then he alarmed this old woman in a house who came out and beat him with a broom and, he, and apparently she, she beat him with the broom so, so hard that he became unconscious and, and when he woke up he had some great experience he had some, some other Kensho experience you know, and it was deeper than before and he went back to his teacher and his teacher could see that something had shifted and his teacher then affirmed his insight um, and um, Huckling went, went on to have many other kinds of experiences like this another, another interesting point in his life um, in, in the Zen tradition in China there was a, a really great teacher called Ganto and, and the story is well that was in um, the time of Emperor Wu and during that time um, the, uh, particularly the Zen monks were disbanded um, they had to become lay people and, um, and Ganto became a, a ferryman of all things um, and he was murdered by um, a band of brigands and, and the, the, the legend goes that when he was murdered he cried out so loud that people from miles around could hear this scream when he died and so this really um, shook Hakuin as well. Like, how could it be that a, a great teacher would yell out in, in pain, you know, when he's dying? And so that created a whole lot of confusion for him again and started to, to doubt himself. So he, as you can see, he's quite human. He, he actually has these very deep experiences, but, like, his, his doubt is great as well. There's so much doubt going on there that fuels his passion for practice. Um, and again, um, he had another experience where he was sitting in the temple and he heard the, the cicadas chirping underneath the foundations of the temple and that, that triggered something off again. And there was, again, there was a, some sort of greater, greater peace that he had. And then another incident that's talked about in his life um, is that he then, he then felt quite ill, probably a lot because he was such a passionate person about what he did, um, and he fell ill. And then he 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 was introduced to this method of breathing, which I don't know, it's kind of like Hara breathing, it's just belly breathing, I guess. But he claimed that this cured him of all his illnesses and you know brought, brought great energy into his life. And he taught it to his monks, you know, to keep them well and healthy. But one presumes it's kind of just breathing naturally. Mm-hmm. 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 And uh, somehow it transformed his, his health through his life. So he was a very, um, a very vibrant man, as you know. You may, may be aware of his artwork and his very vibrant calligraphy. And he was an artist. Um, and so he... He, he was also a great humanitarian, which is not really something which is talked about much in the Zen tradition, but he was the kind of person who could speak to emperors and kings, you know, and, and aristocrats. And he was also had a really great down-to-earth touch, and he, he used to speak to the, to the peasants and the farmers a lot, and he was very practical in terms of um, community projects to build 
bridges and dams and you know very very, very practical in his outlook as well so he had this wonderful artistic spiritual side but a very a worldly worldly practical side as well and, and worked very much um, as a, as a mediator um, in the communities to to solve disputes so overall like a very a very wonderful human being you know who um, uh, is human in, in that he had his own struggles that he went through emotionally and existentially along the way apparently when he was 41 he he still had doubts after all these experiences and so on and then the final one came where he was reading uh, a Zen text once um, I think it was the Buddha's advice to Mahakashapa, don't become too preoccupied with your own personal enlightenment. Is that the practice is about the the saving of all beings, the welfare of all beings? And apparently, when he read that, that was kind of like the final straw that broke broke the uh, the camel's back. And um, and he felt felt like he was confident to teach them, and something really shifted in a in a deeper way for him. Which is a very significant story to end with about that. Do you know how we can be so um, preoccupied with our own happiness, our own well-being, um, but we're told, told over and over again. Do you know that the practice is about the bodhisattva practice? Is it's not just about your own happiness. You, you can't you can't talk about your own happiness without <coughs> it being inclusive of the, the happiness of everyone. So that's Hakawan. So whenever you um, recite Song of Sazen again, bring Hakawan to mind. Mm-hmm.